the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, oh my Jesus, forgive us of our sins, save us from the fires of hell, and lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. St. Dominic de Guzman, pray for us. Venerable Father Augustus Tolton, pray for us. St. Giles, the hermit whose feast day it is today, pray for us. So you, you've heard of cancel culture by now. And to be sure, make sure we're talking about the same thing. Cancel culture is not a culture at all. The thing, uh, this thing called cancel culture, not a culture, is more like an anti-culture, right? What cancel culture can be more clearly defined as is a social, autocratic, ideological purgation. That's what it is. And a social, autocratic, ideological purgation. The social autocracy uh, deciding to eliminate divergent voices. That's all it is. The common place where you hear of this social autocracy, um, ideological purgation occurring is in the social media spaces, uh, YouTube, the Facebook, the Twitter, who remove from their platforms divergent voices. And it's, it's well known uh, that today, if you're still repeatedly voicing the fact that it's unlikely that Joe Biden won a fair election or that abortion, the abortion tainted or tested toxin is unnecessary to put into your body, that January 6th was much closer to being a peaceful protest than it was an insurrection or any other inconvenient facts, you will be purged from the social media platforms, right? It's, it's, uh, it's ideological, right? And, and it's, it's slightly different than a purge from society of those who do not want to um, comply with medical mandates. But these two things are not completely unrelated because the premise of both of them is identical because they both are demanding that if you do not behave as we are insisting that you will, um, that, that your voice um, does not warrant being on our platforms that your voice is not warrant having a, a place in our society. And those who accuse others of collusion are oftentimes the same ones colluding with each other in this social autocratic ideological platform um, purgation. The highest expression of the purge in our culture today, of course, is the surgical abortion in the womb, the surgically eliminating a child in the womb through through surgery or even chemical abortions. That's the highest expression of the purge culture that we have. Mothers, oftentimes fathers and parents of the mother, ignoring the voice of the child in the womb, not giving that child an opportunity to state whether they want to live or they want to be murdered. Whereas the ideological purge we are witnessing on social media eliminates the voice that they believe have no value, prolicide, the killing of one's own offspring, kills the voice without hearing it. They preemptively kill the voice on the basis they have decided that this newly conceived human life has no value. That's prolicide, commonly called abortion. 
But concerning our immediate conversation, how, how does this social autocratic ideological purgation look in the Catholic Church? That's what Father John P. Lovell, the co-founder of the Coalition for Council Priests, will be on shortly um, from now to talk about. Father John P. Lovell, he'll be on to talk about the, this hidden community of Catholic priests who have had their voice removed, been put away by their bishop for the crime of being just good, faithful Catholics. We will also be talking about the 40 Days for Priests campaign and the upcoming rosary prayer and protest rally that's going to be taking place in the Archdiocese of Chicago for the reparation of cancer priests next week, next Friday. <clears throat> but first, let me tell you how happy I am that you have tuned in this afternoon. And I pray that you know that Jesus truly does love you and that he is truly there for you and that he wants you to invite him into every aspect of your life, especially those parts of life where you don't think you need him there. Like you feel like you're doing, ah, I'm doing okay here. I really don't have to pray about this. No, those are the places where Jesus definitely wants you to invite him in. You know, if you think you're doing okay, if you think you're well, right. Um, make sure you have Jesus in those parts of your life as well. My producer, Miss Sisso Anderson, Mrs. Anderson, who you can see, uh, that's my producer. You can also see her on Guadalupe Radio Network show, Back to the Father, which airs on Friday afternoons. And Dave Palmer, the general manager of the Dallas-Fort Worth Jarian Station, he hosts that show. And it's really good. Make sure you tune in. I watch it almost every week. So if you want to call in and opine or make a comment, ask a question, make sure you call in when Father John P. Lovell is here. Call in at 877-757-9424. And Ms. Anderson... The Sissel, she'll get you one. And make sure you start every day listening to the Catholic Drive Time Show with Joe McLean and Adrian Francesca, and is broadcasting every morning on the Guadalupe Radio Network, starting at six a.m. Central Time. This is David L. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. I really like saying that. I feel like when I say that. I feel like I'm a um, like one of those DJs that play like love songs at night, like Guadalupe Radio Network. This is radio for your soul. I don't think I have that voice, but I like trying. We we spoke a few weeks ago about the language we use when we're speaking about our highest form of worship, the sacrifice in the mass. And how the casualness of speaking about it undermines and betrays what we're truly engaged in. Because we do speak casually about the means of our salvation and the gift of eternal life we receive. We, we, we speak of mass oftentimes like a vacation destination. Like, oh, I'm going to mass. Oh, I'm on my way to mass. What, what time are we going to church? What church are we going to? And the casual speech about a thing is only possible when our thoughts about a thing are casual as well. Our thoughts, our words, our manner of dress and behavior all bespeak of a people who are oftentimes not serious about liturgy. 
We also talked um, about how important it is that we have a reverent language that rightly reflects a reverent worship, right? Let us speak casually about Sunday football, but speak reverently about Sunday worship, not vice versa. We also touched on how mass, the worship, is not about mere attendance. The only people who care about whether you attend mass or not are the accountants and people who walk around with the little clicker, right? To figure out how many, how many hosts need to be consecrated. The liturgy is not about attendance. It's not about attendance at an event. It's about encountering a person. On the contrary, what we are engaged in at the mass is true worship and sacrifice and we speak much better about the liturgy of the liturgy of the mass when we finish the sentence. When we say, well, I'm going to mass to worship. What about, uh, what church are we going to, to worship? Right. Or I'm on my way to mass to attend to the sacrifice. By speaking about a thing with respect and due reverence, that in turn will shape the perfect, the perceptions of those who hear us speak about it. And it will also foster in us a deeper reverence and respect. Perhaps if those people who say, I respect the woman's right to choose will finish their sentence to actually speak of the murderous word being performed, we might begin to respect the life within that no one has a right to choose to slaughter. This is the David L. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. <clears throat> so along the lines of speaking about our highest expression of prayer and calling it worship and sacrifice, we should also take a moment to recapture the truth of the encounter itself. Because in this, I think I find that in this effeminate age of the new evangelization, being a dynamic Catholic and all these other passive programs that are geared towards hugging and crying together. I, I think we've lost our sense of what it truly means to encounter God. I, I noticed that when Catholics today speak about what it means to encounter, again, they, they stop short of the work. They stop short of finishing a sentence. That is, they, they, they speak of encountering God through prayer, through, through solidarity with the poor and, and understanding and listening. And, and not only do they miss the work involved in encounter, but they miss speaking about the highest form of encounter we have in the entire universe, which again occurs through our highest expression of prayer and worship, the Catholic Mass where we encounter all life, encounter all truth, encounter all love in a person named Jesus Christ. So, so I want to talk more about this encounter, right? Make some distinctions here between secular and secular encounter and divine encounter. <clears throat> so there, there are three things that I want you to understand about divine encounter, okay? So, 
first, the first thing that you need to know about encounter is that encounter is contemporary. Encounter is contemporary because encounter requires all of our being, our person, our whole self. We do not encounter the past because we cannot be physically there. We cannot sense it. And true encounter, true encounter demands presence. It demands us to be present so that we might encounter the other that is also present. You know, we can be, you know, we can be, of course, we can be affected by many things about the past, but we do not truly encounter them because, again, account encounter is contemporary. It is immediate. It is physically there, whether it is a person or a thing. Yet the most amazing thing about our highest possible encounter with Christ Jesus, the whole Eucharist, is that the liturgy is transporting us to the past, to Mount Calvary. Through the liturgy, we are being caught up in the internal now of God who, who sees things like our opening procession of the Mass. At the same time, he is witnessing some of the other greatest processions in salvation history, such as the profession, procession through the Red Sea, the, the, the procession of the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, and the procession to Calvary. God beholds and shares his grace at all these processions in his eternal right now, the divine paradox is this. The body of bl and blood of Christ was crucified for our salvation nearly 2,000 years ago, which we cannot physically encounter, yet we do encounter through the Holy Eucharist. Therefore, the Holy Eucharist is the highest encounter because it wraps all of time and space and all of salvation history into one moment during the liturgy of the mass. And we encounter all, all of him who we encounter at the words, the body of Christ. Again, the first point that you need to know about true encounter is that divine encounter is present in every way. The second thing you need to know about the mind encounter is that encounter is leading and guiding. In this way, meeting someone is distinct from encountering them in a divine sense. That meeting uh, uh, of a person may lead to more. It may lead to friendship or marriage or some other destination, but it eventually ends. Although the human encounter may give us a foretaste of the divine encounter, it's not really even close to what is our highest good. In the highest expression of encounter, the whole Eucharist, it is a encounter with the divine that leads and guides us to eternal life. In this way, the encounter is destined for permeance. It, it is not seasonal or temporary. It's not like a, a human encounter meeting. Rather, it is a encounter that desires to lead us to eternal life with the one whom we encounter. Many people who are many people who we might we might meet or encounter, honestly, they, they don't desire our salvation, not truly. 
Not not that we are owed that from them. No, we're we're responsible for working on our own salvation. But I only say this to make the distinction in the Holy Eucharist. That is, it is the Holy Eucharist is the only encounter we have on earth that not only consistently desires our salvation, but has made our salvation possible. Again, the second point is that true encounter, divine encounter, is leading and guiding. Here's the last one. The third thing you need to know about encounter is that encounter is transformative. The third thing you need to know about encounter is that encounter is transformative. I, I feel like if I was a, a, a Protestant preacher, I would like preach that, right? I, I would say something like, <laughs> y'all not ready for this one. <laughs> y'all not ready for this third one. <laughs> transformative. <laughs> I'm about to say that again. <laughs> that would have been a funny Protestant preacher. No, but that's, that's really, I think that's really how important it is. This third one, that transform, that encounter is transformative. It, that is, it, it, it changes you in some way for having encountered it. And in some way, it changes how you are moving or oriented in either mind or, or, or body or soul. And in the instance of Christ Jesus, and particularly the seven sacraments in the Catholic Church, it changes all three, mind, body, and soul. Here, heretofore, prior to the encounter, for example, you, you were shaped this way, right? You were shaped one way. But after an encounter, you were completely shaped in a different way. It's like moving from a, a square to a circle, right? You, you just, you're changed how you are, your being. And, and this is related to how encounter is leading and guiding. For not only are you now headed in a different direction, you're now thinking and moving differently about those very things, about the direction. People who have converted to the faith or has some sort of awakening experience, they, they attested this truth from reality that never before would they have thought about Catholicism until they encountered the truth, the, the, the sufficiency and the fullness of Catholicism. So, so divine encounter, it transforms you. And the Holy Eucharist, <clears throat> is the highest reality of this aspect of true encounter because the Holy Eucharist himself is a sign of our transformative process in Christ. For, for example, the Holy Eucharist, the host itself, what was dead, non-living bread and wine, truly become alive. Dead things become alive. Just as we who are dead in sin become alive, truly alive, through being baptized in Christ. <clears throat> in this way, the encounter with the Holy Eucharist, we become what we eat. We become a Eucharistic people who are sent out of the liturgy, not to encounter the world as ourselves, but to encounter the world as Christ who lives in us. So not only does the divine encounter with the Holy Eucharist transform us, but we who are transformed are then called to transform and reorient the world in the same way we have been. <laughs> Y'all not ready for that. <laughs> Those are the three reasons, though, about how divine encounter 
bespeaks of the highest encounter we can have in our existence here on earth. And that's all I know about that. This is the David Ray Great the Dave, the Dave No Great Show, Voice in Truth and Reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is Radio for Your Soul. Right after break, Father John P. Level will be on the show to explain why um, priests are being canceled, what we need to do about it, and how we can help this coalition of council priests. David O'Grey Show. In two weeks, we will be interrupting our regular programming schedule for a quarterly share to keep your GRN station on the air. Why do we come to our listening family to seek financial gifts? The Guadalupe Radio Network spends approximately $4.5 million per year to operate all 37 stations in the network, or about $515 per hour. We are 100% listener supported, completely dependent on the divine providence of God, working through the generosity of our GRN family of listeners. We are so thankful that you are part of the GRN family. I want to personally thank you for your continued prayerful and financial support since the year 2000 when the GRN first started in Catholic Radio. This is Len Oswald, President of the Guadalupe Radio Network with your GRN Family Minute. We are your Catholic Radio. Radio for your soul. Keeping you informed and inspired. Hi, Joe McLean here, host of the Catholic Drive Time, heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. News and information, Catholic conversation, inspiration, fun, and prizes are involved. Log on to our website to get all the details, to find all the information, the podcast, the videos, and so much more. GRNonline.com. That's GRNonline.com forward slash CDT. God love you. Your odyssey begins at the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving and Italy, UD's rigorous core curriculum sets it apart, an education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition, an education that ennobles and enables students in the pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs are available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. Welcome back in to the David L. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. Um, you can call in if you want to opine or ask a question. The number is 877-757-9424. Again, that's 877-757-9424. Call in and you'll be hearing from um, Sissel and she'll get you on. So I have Father John P. Lovell on the show now. He is the co-founder of the Coalition of Council Priests. And he's on to talk about what do we need to know about that? What what is what is a what is a council priest and how we can help his coalition of council priests. Father John P. Lovell, how you doing? Oh, looks like Father Father John is not here at the moment. We'll definitely work on that. Um, I, I was I was interested to see over in in Texas that one of the things that they this making the the rounds today is 
um, the um, the Harvey bill, which is still working through the the process of um, challenges in the Supreme Court um, to it. But typically, once a bill is passed in the state, before that bill goes into effect, one of the advocates for prolicide abortion, as it's commonly called, would petition the Supreme Court for some sort of immediate injunction, some sort of uh, ceasing or stopping of that law going into effect. And the Supreme Court will comply, right? That's 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 what we've been used to for the last, you know, few decades, right? And then after that law in that state works through the process, the Supreme Court at the end affirms um, their president on this issue, right? Uh, Roe versus Wade or Doe versus Bolton or, or Casey versus Planned Parenthood, right? They'll go back to those. And that's it. And, you know, abortion is still the law of land. It's still legal to take the life of a child in the womb. But something different happened. So Samuel, Justice Samuel Lito, who's in charge of the appellate courts in Texas, uh, once he received that uh, uh, appeal to stop this law from going to effect, which, again, which is just um, routine, he did not stop it from going into effect which means that the heartbeat law, which um, makes abortion illegal after the heartbeat is detected, which is typically six weeks, makes it illegal with no exceptions, which is awesome. So this case is still going to be working through the Supreme Court. We're going to see what the end result is. And um, uh, from there, but definitely our, our prayers are, are with this cause that, and even though this doesn't stop all abortions, and especially the chemical abortions, which are much more prevalent today than the surgical, that we're happy that lives are going to be saved with this law, right? And so hopefully more states, if this is accepted, more more states will adopt this law as Texas crafted it into their states and we can we can definitely save more lives okay all right so father john p level he's the co-founder of the coalition of priests he's on this show now father father john p level how's it going good how are you david doing well thanks for coming on we're so glad to have you here so excited about um, what your coalition is doing. I'm excited um, that my listeners are going to be able to hear from you directly as a co-founder of the Coalition of Council Priests to find out what you're doing, why you're doing it, and also some of the things that you have coming up, such as the, the 40 day for priests, the um, uh, rosary and protest rally that's going on in Archdiocese of Chicago, and, and just the work overall in general. So, But I wanted to start off, since this is your first time on the David O'Grey Show, Voicing Truth and the Reason, I wanted just to introduce you to the audience for those who don't know you and tell us who you are, what's your, what's been your faith journey and tell us a little bit about your, your vocation story, how you got called to the priesthood. Well, as you said, I'm Father John Lovell. I am a priest of the Diocese of Rockford in Illinois. Um, I'm originally from the south suburbs of Chicago. Um, I'm a cradle Catholic, uh, born and raised, went to, uh, 
public grade school and then a Catholic high school. Um, about my senior year of high school, I felt the call to the priesthood, pursued that at College Seminary for the Archdiocese of Chicago, uh, and then continued with the Diocese of Rockford for major seminary at Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Uh, I was ordained a priest on May 19, 2007. Uh, for my first five years, I had a variety of roles, including being a parochial vicar, uh, high school teacher, as well as associate vocation director. Uh, Bishop Doran, uh, who ordained me and has now passed away, uh, sent me to the Dominican House of Studies in Washington, D.C. to work on a license and doctorate in sacred theology. Uh, when Bishop David Beloy, the current bishop, uh, was ordained in May of 2012, he called me in about five or six weeks after that and told me he was removing me from ministry, that he had several concerns brought to his attention. None of these were really voiced to me. Um, he tried to suspend me. Uh, Rome immediately overturned that. Um, and then he tried to uh, basically removed me administratively in a non-penal, non-judicial way. That's what the decree says. Um, I'm not, uh, do not have, excuse me, any allegation or accusation against me. Um, I filed an appeal with Rome. It took almost nine years. Uh, sadly, Rome came back and said that there was not enough information. Um, Rome basically said that a uh, bishop can remove a priest for any reason or for no reason at all, but it can only be temporary. But uh, we're going on a whole decade here of me being out of ministry, and it does not seem that Rome is too eager to tell bishops to put priests back into ministry because of the current climate. Hmm. So here you are, 14 years after you've been ordained, and... You didn't see this coming, obviously. I mean, doing a seminary and after your ordination, but what is it? What has it been like in this um, land of limbo? I mean, you, you're an ordained priest. And, and I mean, you have a, a that, mark that, on your soul. That's a great. That's a great word to use. I'm in limbo, so uh, I'm technically not suspended. Uh, I'm technically not in ministry. I'm I'm in limbo, and uh, I'm sadly only allowed to celebrate mass privately. Uh, and the sacraments and emergency, which every priest has immediate jurisdiction if it's an emergency. Um, it's been a mixed blessing. Uh, I now live with my father. I take care of him, um, his full-time caregiver. In that sense, it's been a great joy and a blessing. In another sense, priests need to preach. Priests need to hear confessions. It uh, bring solace to them in their vocation. It's like married couples being married and then not together. Uh, it doesn't work. They can't mm. be separated and be happy as a married couple. Mm. Um, and so that that's what we kind of look at it. And basically what uh, happened in the last three to four months is that Bishop Malloy, who has removed several priests, over a dozen, just in the Diocese of Rockford alone, removed a very traditional-minded, very orthodox pastor, uh, he'd been harassing him for the last couple of years and basically told them in May that uh, he didn't even tell him he had a, his vicar of clergy do it, basically tell him that uh, he needs to leave the uh, rectory by June 15th. He has to find a place to stay and he will not be given an assignment. And that caused an uproar because he was a very 
cherished pastor by his parishioners, and it led to the forming of the Coalition for Canceled Priests, not just to defend priests in Rockford that have been canceled, but to defend priests across the country, because there's hundreds, if not thousands, across the country that have been canceled. Uh, we have priests now yeah. that are afraid to preach the truth because they're afraid that they're going to be next. And I was going to ask you that. So you send the numbers of these council priests, priests who have either just been removed from ministry or priests who have been removed from ministry and completely um, have had their faculties um, suspended or, or removed. You say the numbers are somewhere in between a hundred and a thousand. What's something? What's something closer? That because I know that your coalition for council priests, you're contacted by many priests throughout the country, and who's looking for help with their their legal case or to get their um, uh, ministry restored. What are you finding as far as numbers go, and what are you finding as far as the commonality of stories that these priests have? The commonality is a lack of listening on the part of the bishop. It's his way or the highway, no matter whose bishop it is. Um, and a lot of times they want to send these priests to psychological centers, such as St. Luke's in Washington or St. John Vianney Center in Downington, Pennsylvania, and they don't need to go. And it's a great financial burden to the diocese sometimes to send these priests for seven to eight months at a facility that could cost upwards of $1,000 a day, a day to be there, not a month, a day to be there. Um, and, and they do this because usually they don't have anything on the priest, any good reason, so that they're hoping that if they send this priest to a psychological center for seven to eight months, that uh, they'll basically break them and that they'll find something to, to justify keeping this priest out of ministry. For example, I uh, went for a psychological evaluation uh, at St. John Vianney Center in Downington. I was told that uh, there was no reason for me to be admitted. I was told that there was no reason for me to be out of ministry by St. John Vianney Center. Uh, that was not good enough. The bishop still wanted to send me there, still wanted me to be there for an indeterminate amount of time. And I said no. I then proceeded to go to another psychologist who also happened to be a canon lawyer for a second opinion. He said he didn't know of any insurance company that would pay for me to be there. And what happens a lot of times is you get these priests that are very scared because they're threatened with loss of pay, they're threatened with loss of housing, and they don't know where to turn. And we want to be that place to turn to say, we're going to help you find a good canon lawyer. We're going to help you find a good attorney if you need one. We're going to help you pay your bills for that canon lawyer. We're going to be able to help you pay your bills sometimes for little things like food. I mean, just yesterday I sent a check in the mail so a priest could buy a new set of tires for his car. Uh, what happens is, wow. is that their pay is usually cut, sometimes down to zero, sometimes down to poverty levels where they cannot survive on that. And what's sad is that the bishop has, uh, of any diocese, has the full use of diocesan endowment and stewardship in order to pay for all of his legal expenses, to pay for all of his canon lawyers. And it, yeah. it's sad. It, it, it's very, very sad. Yeah. This is a David L. Grace show, Voicing Truth and Reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is Radio for Your Soul. Speaking with Father John P. Lovell, who is the co-founder of a coalition of council priests, talking about what is a council priest 
um, what can we do about it, and how can we help his coalition for council priests? Uh, Father, Father Love, I want you to talk a little bit more about, because I know the faithful, we're completely confused about this psychological testing thing and sending these priests off. Because it sounds like the bishops, um, some bishops are treating priests like some sort of piece of property that they could just send them off to some sort of prison cell and just force them to be there. And it's like you, like you said, it's threatening their, their livelihood, it's threatening, threatening their calling. It seems to be like an unsafe place. So, so what is this psychological, these psychological centers? Is it, do they put people off in cells? I mean, I mean, what's, what's going on at these places? It's basically a psychological treatment center. A hundred years ago, we would call them sanitariums. They're normally set up for priests and for religious. And a lot of times these places help with alcoholism, uh, which is a problem for some priests and for some religious, as it is for everyone. Uh, but a lot of times what this is, is that it's a place for uh, bishops to send in order to get information on the priest. And what usually happens, what happened to me when I was sent to St. John Vianney Center, I was never told of any accusation, of any allegation. I was never told what was wrong or what, I was, uh, what the problem was, but they were told. And so now you're going into a psychological assessment with a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and they know what the diocese is saying, but you don't. And... You know, there's a fear there of saying the wrong thing. There's the fear of, you know, am I, am I, is my life going to be ruined? Because priests are public figures. And when you remove a priest, even if it's done in a non-judicial, non-penal way, like I was, is that it, it, it spreads doubt among the faithful. Well, you know, we've been having problems with certain priests. The bishop probably has a good reason. And what I'm saying is, is that while some priests do have to be removed for right reasons, others don't, and they're just simply being removed because the bishop sees them as a possible lawsuit, not as a son. He sees them as uh, promoting something that's against what he considers to be right in the Catholic Church. And what, what's happening is, is that you're seeing uh, priests that are trying to be Orthodox, trying to preach the truth, being sidelined, being canceled. And uh, so what we want to do is we want to help them. And, and real, understandably, realizing that there are priests that do need to be removed. We're not necessarily saying that all priests are being unjustifiably removed. What we're saying is, is that there's, there's a sizable amount that are being removed for an unjustifiable reason, and that they should be put back into ministry. Yeah. And it sounds like this, that psychological testing centers, I see how you're saying that for some people who are just having just human issues. Um, this can be used as an opportunity to remedy those situations. But in other senses, it's just some bishops weaponizing it as a, as a tool to do harm to the individual and to the faithful who need good priests. And it seems to track well with some of these issues that we're having out of some dioceses where there just isn't any transparency. These priests basically disappear at night we don't know what happened. Where did they go? No one's telling us any answers. And now Father um, John P. Lovell from the Coalition of Council Priests is, is telling us what's going on. If you have any questions or, or comments you'd like to speak with Father John, um, you can call in at 877-757-9424. Again, that's 877-757-9424. 
I was really imp impressed that your coalition um, started this year uh, formally, right? And it's got a, endorsements from um, Cardinal Vigano, Father Altman, who made a wonderful donation to your coalition, $100,000 uh, right at the beginning. And, and so tell us about, you told us a little bit about how you're helping priests with, with basic needs, but tell us where you're headed. What's the future of your organization? What direction are you headed in? So um, while it is not necessarily glamorous, our, the future of the coalition is to do the everyday work of helping priests get by uh, financially, uh, spiritually. Uh, we want to be there to put on retreats. Uh, for canceled priests, give them a place to go to rest, um, you know, because a lot of these priests, I, I haven't had a vacation in nine years. I can't afford it, you know, and I'm not saying that we're going to be sending them to Tahiti or anything like that. No, of course not. <laughs> but to be able to for them to go and have a few days rest, you know, out in the woods at a cabin or something, that would be wonderful. We're going to organize something uh, at the end of September uh, for that for priests in and around the Midwest, and we're already sending out invitations to the canceled priests that have reached out to us across the country. So we're going to do that. We're going to continue to call attention to what the bishops are doing. For example, you mentioned earlier the September 10th uh, rally and rosary featuring Father Altman and a, a great apologist that I know, uh, David L. Gray. So uh, it's uh, going to be a great, great time. Um, I'm sure you know David very well since you are him. But uh, we are we're hoping for a huge turnout because what we're doing is we're having this rally in Lincoln Park, almost across the street from Cardinal Supich's uh, residence, uh, certainly in walking distance. And uh, we're hoping to have thousands come out uh, to hear us, to pray with us, and to ask our Lord to send relief to so many priests that have been canceled. And Father Altman has been a treasure for us, uh, not only with the donation, but being willing to come now this will be his second event that he's coming to that we're hosting, and it really energizes the faithful to hear him. And if I may say just real quickly, because there was sadly a, a what I'd like to call a hit piece from the so-called National Catholic Reporter. I like to call it the National Schismatic Reporter. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of criticism of Father Altman, all right? And I'll be the first to say it. Father Altman's not perfect. I think he would be the first to say it. I'm certainly not perfect either. However, we're seeing a corruption in the church that is bringing about, I think, righteous anger amongst innocent clergy and amongst the laity who are just fed up with what's going on, uh, the hiding. We, we see this now with what's called Grindergate. You know, even in uh, mm -hmm. Father Altman's own diocese, you know, Father Altman is very publicly removed uh, from his parish or attempted by the diocese to do that. And then you see this Monsignor Burrell um, from the same diocese, very quietly is that being handled. I don't even know if he even lost his faculties yet, um, but he had to be removed as secretary from the USCCB. So what we, we're mm -hmm. trying to focus on is helping those priests that are claiming they're innocent, can show that they're innocent, um, and to give them the uh, moral and financial support that they need. Yeah. And I like that you brought up the um, prayer prayer and um, protest rally that going on in 
September 10th. That's next Friday in Chicago, Lincoln Park. Yes. And, and yeah, you, you're bringing out the big guns. And I don't mean Father Altman and Jason Jones and, you know, Jesse Romero, myself. The, the big guns, you're bringing out Our Lady, right, with the rosary. Every, I, I like I said, you know, I have my, my rosary, I have a couple of rosaries. That's in, you know, the, the, um, the decades are um, bullet casings. And I always say, you know, whenever I'm praying a rosary, I'm busting a cap in Satan's butt. So, yeah, you're bringing out the big guns in this in this in this rally. So, yeah, if anyone, everyone listening, if you can make it out um, at the end of next week, um, please, please come. And and father, uh, Barbara Kelly, who is a listener to show, she says we need you in Davenport, Iowa. Is there a plan to do more of these rallies across the country where you're finding in some dioceses that there's a pattern with bishops just making priests disappear? I, well, I would like to let her know that we're going to be, Father Altman, Liz Yor, and myself, we're going to be in Dubuque on September 22nd. Uh, we're going to be helping with a fundraiser for Aquinas Communications. Uh, I told you about them when we met in Detroit a few weeks ago. And uh, yes, more than happy if, they, if the people from Davenport would come out. We would love to come out to Davenport as well. Uh, absolutely. That's something. And if I could just say this, especially for those not only in the Chicagoland area, but in the Midwest that can travel, I realize that Friday, September 10th, we're planning to start at noon. I realize that is a sacrifice for many people. It's a work day. It's a school day. Going into the city of Chicago is not easy, especially the last few years with all the violence in certain neighborhoods. However, um, I want to ask your listeners and those that are planning to attend or who are thinking about it, please make that sacrifice to come. It, it, it's so necessary. We're doing it specifically there to give notice to Cardinal Supic and to say, please, please stop what you're doing. Stop canceling the St. Michael the Archangel prayer. Stop canceling the traditional liturgy. Stop canceling traditional priests not only in the archdiocese, but across the country. You well know, David, Cardinal Supic has a lot of sway with bishops. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we could convert his heart, melt his heart, to stand up and defend priests who have been out of ministry now? I mean, I've been out uh, nine full years and counting. I'm I'm on my 10th year right now, basically. And uh, that's what we need. And, And what a lot of people think, is that we're trying to attack the bishops. Not at all. We are, we are trying to stand up for the rights of priests. I said this in our June 24th event. I'll probably say it on September 10th. We're standing up for due process of law. We're standing up for the rights of priests to say, look, everyone, even priests, deserves the right not only to due process, but the presumption of innocence until proven guilty. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, just, just basic due process. I mean, imagine that. Um, Carrie Topol, um, and she's saying, Father, um, it's one thing to be persecuted by the world. I mean, we have that already. But then to find persecution in the church, right? Talk about that. Well, it's difficult because if you think about that, a bishop, is the true pastor of the diocese. Uh, What we call pastors of parishes actually in canon law would be parish priests, a parochus in Latin. 
So the true pastor, the true father in the diocese is the bishop, not just to his priests and deacons, but also to everyone, laity, clergy alike. And what's happening is, as I said earlier, these bishops, especially since the Dallas Charter, especially since the Boston scandal of 2002, they look upon their priests as possible lawsuits, not as sons. And what they need to realize and what we need to pray for, for the conversion of heart of all of these bishops, is that they have to start seeing their priests first and foremost as sons and as collaborators, okay? We're presbyters. We, we work with the bishop, okay? Uh, and we're not trying to be disobedient. I've never been accused of disobedience, and he can't. I have rights under canon law, too. Canon 212 applies to me as well. I have sometimes a right, right and a duty to call out when an injustice is being done. And what a lot of people say is, well, why don't you just stay quiet and let the process work out? I'll tell them I did do that for nine years. How many more years should I do that as I see more brother priests uh, being removed time and time again and costing a lot of money to the diocese? Like, for example, Diocese of Rockford, as I said, 12 priests out of ministry, over 12, they still have to be taken care of, even if they're only being taken care of minimally. And those are priests that could be out in the vineyard working, out in the vineyard working. And when I say 12 priests out of ministry, none of them are on the state's attorney's list for committing a crime that was released a year or two ago. I'm not on that list. Right. We're not. And so what I'm, what I'm asking the, uh, and what we're asking the lady to know is, is that please realize that there are a lot of good priests that have been sidelined, and they need your help. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing that in a lot of dioceses that's experiencing shortages of priests, you have priests losing their jobs for doing nothing but just being good, faithful Catholics. But what but what is your discernment process, Father? Because I know I'm asking um, you know, all my listeners to go away, go to your website, Coalition for Council Priests. And, you know, check you guys out. If you haven't heard of, and heard of you, um, go to your events page. But also, um, if, if, you, if you can find it in your charity to, you know, make a donation. Because I know you're a 501c3. And um, if people find that necessary for their contribution to be tax-free, um, Coalition for Council Priests is a good place to uh, make a contribution. Father Altman did, again, for the amount of $100,000. So, um, for those of you who follow Father Altman and you love him and trust him, um, he trusts what the Coalition for Council Priests is doing. So uh, please make a contribution. But the, but then the, again, to go backwards, I just want to make sure that our listeners hear your discernment process. Of how do you discern which priests that um, you're going to help or not? Well, and let me just let me just clarify something. We've applied for 501c3 status with the IRS. Everyone, for everyone, it takes several months to get uh, formal approval. Uh, the IRS has yeah, recognized months, us yeah. as an NFP, as a not-for-profit. However, we have applied, and we, we, we always send a nice thank you note when people do uh, send a donation, whether it's online or whether it's via our PO box. Uh, both can be found on our website. But we always send a nice note saying, uh, until until otherwise noted, please do not consider this tax deductible because we are applying for the 501c3 status. Um, but that said, it does work retroactively as soon as the IRS yeah. 
has established as a not-for-profit. So we're hoping to get that by the end of the year. Uh, that said, and that's cancel. Um, and that's cancelpriest.org. Cancelpriest.org. That's where you can find yeah. the website. Yeah, I, yeah I just want the listeners yeah. to hear. Um, and we only have uh, about two and a half minutes left. So, but I just want the listeners to hear your discernment process, because like you said earlier, you know, there are some priests who should be in psychological counseling, counseling, should be out of ministry. But how are you as a organization um, discerning which priests you're going to help or not? That's a great question. And we do have our guidelines up on our website and the application for priests uh, to apply for help. So basically what we're doing is, is that we're asking the priest, confidentially, of course, to inform us of if they've been accused of anything, what is it? Uh, and then we do a due, due diligence on that priest. We ask for letters of recommendation um, from people that they know. Uh, and, and what we do is, is that we just simply try to go through as best as possible to see has this print priest been accused of something, and has it been uh, substantiated? Now, that's a very broad term, substantiated. Uh, but what mm -hmm. we're looking for is something that is credible, something that can be proven uh, true. That said, for the most part, what we're finding is so many priests like myself that have just been sidelined for so long is that not only is there no accusation, not only is there no allegation, it's just that we, we've discovered that, you know what, the dioceses have had to put out lists of credibly accused priests. And so if you're on that list, that doesn't necessarily mean we're not going to give you help, but it certainly means we're going to look mm -hmm. very closely at why you were removed and whether or not uh, it, it is uh, advisable for us to do that. Because what we're, what we're wanting to do is to go after and to support innocent priests, okay? Now, in one sense, we're all guilty. Okay, we've all committed sin. Um, that yeah. said, you know, uh, we're not going. We're not going to basically uh, pass over a priest just simply because uh, we don't like them. We're going to do that due diligence, but we're going to make sure that that priest, as far as humanly possible, uh, has not committed a serious crime. Yeah, and again, you've been listening to the David O. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network. I've been speaking with Father John P. Lovell, who is um, an ordained priest, and right now he is working on getting all of his, his ministry restored and his full faculties restored. I love how he said that, you know, in our prayer to the Lady of Guadalupe, we, we speak about how um, the sacrament of penance and reconciliation is, is, is medicine for the soul. It, it gives peace to the soul, but we love how Father John said a moment ago that the, the priest himself needs to hear confession and work in that ministry uh, because Christ has ordained him for it. So it's good for his soul as well. Make sure you get out and visit Council Coalition for Council Priests at councilpriest.org. That's priest, plural, councilpriest.org. Make sure you take a look at their mission statement, take a look at their events page. Also, please, if you can, make a donation to what they're doing because it's all going to a good cause. Make sure if you're able to get out on September 10th um, in the Archdiocese of Chicago to gather together um, as we pray and ask for reparations 
for our priests. Also, tomorrow on my live stream on Talking Catholic with David O'Gray, we're going to have um, a lot of the speakers who are going to be there. We're going to have Father Altman on the show. We're going to have Jesse Romero. We have Jason Jones and myself. So we're going to be live streaming tomorrow talking about this. So make sure you tune into the um, David O'Gray show on uh, YouTube and Twitter and blah, blah, blah tomorrow. Father um, Jumpy Level, can you, as we head out, we have about 30, 30 seconds left. Can you offer a prayer for priests who are being affected and for the faithful who are being affected by this issue as well? Absolutely. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mary, Mother Mother of God, God. pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. And if I may give you my blessing, Dominus Fobiscum, et cum spiritu tuo, benedictio Deo omnipotens pater et filius, et spiritu sanctus, descended super vos, mani et semper. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. I'll be back same time next week, same place. I look forward to versing with you again. In between time, visit me at davidogray.info. But until then, and until next time, remember that Jesus loves you and is there for you. And live your life like salvation matters. And may the abundance of our Lord's blessings and graces and favors fall upon you. Thank you.